Hello, and welcome to Disney Rewind, a Disney nostalgia podcast served with a glass of wine. We are your hosts, Adina Miller and Rachel Seedman. And in each episode, we break down a piece of Disney media and pair it perfectly with a glass of wine. Cheers. Hey, Adina. Hey, Rachel. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. (laughs) I just hit my laptop. It's too much of a new year. Maybe I'm still drunk. Look, we're still reeling from 2020 over here. Yeah, well, you most certainly are. I am excited for 2021. I have some exciting things in my personal life happening and hopefully a lot of exciting things in our podcasting career to come. You know what? I think we rounded out 2020 so nicely with The Nightmare Before Christmas and our eight episodes in 2020, which for starting this in November, essentially getting these out. I'm so happy with what we did in 2020. And I'm very excited for what is to come now in the new year of 2021. Me too. So with that being said, to kick off our new year, I... Rachel got to choose our movie that we watched this this week and I am very excited about this I had so much fun watching it and researching this movie so the movie that we watched this week in case you didn't see it already on our social media which you should be following us the movie that we watched this week is The Great Mouse Detective yay yay so The Great Mouse Detective is the 26th Disney animated film, and it came out on July 2nd, 1986. That's my mom's birthday, by the way. Is it not, really? Not that year. Not, not that but year. But July 2nd, yes. Wow. Well, she got the gift of The Great Mouse Detective, which I think is a pretty good gift. I mean, hey, I, uh, before we even get into it, that was a really enjoyable movie to watch. <laughs> You know, we've had Nightmare Before Christmas aside, we've had some really depressing movies that we watched. That we have, that we have. So I think this honestly, to start off the year, this is a great way to start. This is a fun movie. This is a very exciting movie. There's a lot going on in it. So I love this movie. I'll just start by saying this. Get it all out there. I love this movie. (laughs) I loved it too. And you know what I really loved, Rachel, was the... uh, The Disney Plus summary. I loved the Disney Plus summary. Oh my gosh. I am so ecstatic right now because as y'all know, I never get a good summary. And today, (laughs) Redemption 2021 is already looking up because I got a good summary on Disney Plus. I didn't even bother writing my own because the Disney Plus one is so good. I agree. Please share it with us. The clues are in. The chase is on, and the case of the century is about to break wide open in Disney's greatest little mystery in history. Come along on a journey through the cobblestone streets of 1897 London, where some suspicious mouse chief is the suspenseful start of this thrilling musical adventure. Olivia, the brave daughter of beloved toy maker, turns to Basil of Baker Street for help with her father's disappearance. Basil's jolly assistant, Dr. Dawson, and loyal dog Toby lend a paw and a nose as they search for clues through their charming miniature world. The final chase leads to Professor Radigan, a hard-hearted criminal. Can Basil outwit Radigan to save Olivia's father and all of Maustum? What a great 
summary. Honestly, I'm I was hyped. I read that before watching the movie because honestly, Rachel, I don't know the last time I saw this movie. If if I have even seen this movie, to be honest with you, but I was hyped. So I remember the last time I saw this movie, I was in college and one of my high school friends came over and he and I, I don't know why, we made like Jell-O and we watched The Great Mouse Detective because that's what you do when you're home from college, I guess. I don't know. So like this, I, I saw it not too long ago. I really remembered the majority of this movie because I loved it so much, but I'm really glad that one, well, not if you've never seen this movie before. That would be a problem. But two, I'm glad that you didn't have enough of a memory to see this movie. I had zero memory of it. Oh, my God. So it was a goddamn delight. Yes. that You know what? <laughs> 2021. Goddamn delight. That's going to be the slogan of 2021. <laughs> Let's fucking hope so. So to go along with this delightful movie, I've picked what I hope will be a delightful wine. So we will be having the 19 Crimes Red Blend. I just kind of figured it would be fun and fitting to pick a wine that had something to do with the law and order type of situation. 19 Crimes, you're probably thinking like, what are those? According to the website and the back of the bottle, 19 crimes are what turned convicts into colonists. Upon conviction, British rogues guilty of at least one of the 19 crimes were sentenced to live in Australia rather than death. This punishment by transportation began in 1787, and many of the lawless died at sea. For the rough-hewn prisoners who made it to shore, a new world awaited. As pioneers in a frontier penal colony, they forged a new country and new lives, brick by brick. This wine celebrates the rules they broke and the culture they built. Hmm. I mean, it's quite a story. It is. If you notice, there is no description of the wine on the bottle. There is not. No, but um, I decided to go with the red blend. There were a couple of other varietals, but I went with the blend because as I noticed while watching this movie, there were a wide range of accents, uh, meaning that these characters did come from all over to make a very fun movie, much like I hope this blend of grapes come together to make a tasty bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Look, sometimes you got to stretch a little bit. So uh, let's pour ourselves a glass here. Don't mind if I do. It's a very deep red color. Well, I just want to say to you, Adina, cheers. (laughs) Rachel is holding (laughs) up a custom wine tumbler that she had made for us. Mine is in the mail coming to me. Um, it's very cute and I can't wait to use it when I get it, but cheers. Cheers. I like it. I do too. Yeah. That's actually, that's kind of nice. It has a sweetness to it that I was not expecting. Yeah. A very slight sweetness. Yeah. So I'll read you just a couple of tasting notes about the wine that I was able to find because they were few and far between. Per the website, our red blend bears the same traits as those banished to Australia. Defiant by nature, bold in character, always uncompromising. It's a taste you'll never forget. Per the internet, Mm -hmm. which I find to be uh, a lot more helpful than that. Yeah. This medium-bodied deep red blend is bold with strong fruit flavors and hints of sweet blackberry. Well balanced with medium tannins, this wine would pair well with poultry or pasta dishes. Oh, I could see that. 
I can definitely see that with like a nice chicken Parmesan. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I have a question about this wine. Sure. Why is Snoop Dogg on the label and on my cork? Because you got the wrong one. I got the one that was on the link. No. Uh, That is not the one I picked. (laughs) Then they grabbed the wrong one for me. This is the one that I had. That's the one I ordered. So for the first time, guys, we're accidentally drinking the wrong <laughs> we're drinking a different one. Look, I think it's probably is yours a 2019? Yeah. It says it, yours is the Cali Red though, right? Yeah. Okay, so mine's from southeastern Australia. <laughs> Can I read you then the label of the Snoop Please Dogg? Please do read the label of the Snoop Dogg one. <laughs> 19 Crimes tells the true story of rule breakers who beat the odds, overcame adversity, and went on to become folk heroes in their society. This spirit lives on today through innovators and culture creators like Callie's own Snoop Dogg. Hmm. A leader in contemporary pop culture, Snoop embodies the timeless values of the 19 Crimes rogues who came before him. Okay. On my bottle... Please. John Boyle O'Reilly, who was an Irish poet. He was given the sentence second only to death in its severity. He published poetry throughout the harrowing journey to Australia and once there outwitted prison guards to escape to America. On my cork, it says five, which I'm assuming is number five of the 19th crime. And Rachel, I'm just going to tell you what it is impersonating an egyptian oh so if you are found if you were found impersonating an egyptian you were sentenced to life in australia wow i want to know the story of what led him to impersonate an egyptian well this was fun (laughs) i i picked the movie so let's 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 get into the great mouse detective i think the biggest most important thing to start off talking about this is this is the disney directing debut for the kings themselves of ron clements and john musker now they also directed this with david michener and bernie madison but what's important to know about ron clements and john musker is these two gods amongst men went on to basically lead the directing through the Disney Renaissance and beyond. So they went on to direct together and they did this as a duo. The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, Treasure Planet, The Princess and the Frog, and Moana. Damn, that's an impressive resume. That And they do it together. And that's something I love, I love is that they do it together. But yeah, without like these, this is what their first one together doing Disney as directors I just, I love that so much. I love it too. That was my first fact. I mean, I obviously have seen the names John Musker and Ron Clements. I thought it was interesting. Like when I was watching the the credits roll at the beginning of this movie, I'm like, why are there four directors? That's a lot of directors for one movie. There's been a lot of directors in our past movies that we've watched because oftentimes there's like, animation directors and art directors Mm -hmm. but they're actually thrown in with the with the actual directors as well in these movies okay so what i thought was interesting you know the the name basil uh really i i thought it was basil before like when i saw it and i was really glad that i was correct and it wasn't basil because british people say basil not basil it's true um so basil of baker street is named after basil rathbone 
who played Sherlock Holmes in 14 films. And, Mm -hmm. you know, by some strange coincidence, Basil was also the name used by a disguised Sherlock Holmes in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Adventure of Black Peter. And they use Basil's voice, the actor Basil, to cameo after his death, to cameo as Sherlock Holmes in the couple lines that the actual Sherlock Holmes gets in this movie. Yes, I loved that. I thought that was such a cool thing. I looked that up. I looked it up after I saw the movie. I also didn't know when we started the movie out. I was like, okay, so is he instead of Sherlock Holmes? Is he in conjunction with Sherlock Holmes? So I thought it was super cool. All of the Sherlock Holmes tie-ins that you get throughout this movie. Like it's such a wonderful homage to Sherlock Holmes. I and I think honestly, this this movie might be why. I love Sherlock Holmes so much because this was probably the first for me and I'm sure for lots of other kids like first dive into the idea of Sherlock Holmes and Watson and and Moriarty and these characters and now I I love any Sherlock story I've read them Hound of the Baskervilles is my all-time favorite Sherlock Holmes book but yeah so I just I think for myself and I'm sure for many other people who watched this again multiple times because I know I watched this a lot growing up. This probably like kicked off my love for all things Sherlock Holmes because it's so great. I have a very interesting fact. You know, we're talking about legends, Sherlock Holmes. So the legend I'm going to bring up next is Vincent Price, who voiced Radigan. Mm-hmm. So he is a classic film star. You may know him from Laura from 1944, The Ten Commandments, 1956. That's definitely where I know him from. He was also in a lot of horror classics like House of Wax and The Fall of the House of Usher, which I haven't seen because I'm not a horror fan. That's where I know him from is from all of his horror movies. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. No, I am Jewish. Of course, I've seen The Ten Commandments. But being in this movie for him was a lifelong dream like he had always wanted to voice a disney character and much to his delight he actually inspired the character of radigan quite a bit which is super super cool so during the recording of price's lines animators actually sketched his exaggerated shakespearean gestures and like worked them into the poses for radigan and you definitely see that in this movie like oh yeah it's just the there is a huge Shakespearean attitude. I know that the the voice actor for Basil as well was also a Shakespearean actor, but it's almost like it's super realistic when you're looking at them. I know that they're yeah. cartoons and I know that they're mice. Well, Radigan's a rat, but it's just, it's super, super obvious that these are, you could see someone on stage making these gestures. And I just, I want to give Vincent Price the props that he is due for really transforming this character into a, I, I want to say a beloved Disney villain. That's the wrong word. But like renowned, is that the right word? Infamous? Sure. Infamous. Let's go with that. I also just love, so to like, I want to start building like a conspiracy board, except Ooh. of all of the connections between our episodes that we have done and things like that, because Vincent Price also Taking it back to last week with Nightmare Before Christmas, uh, we talked about how Tim Burton did Vincent, and Vincent Price was the narrator in Vincent that Tim Burton did, and he also did the spoken word 
at the very end of Michael Jackson's thriller. Oh, so he, oh that's so cool. <laughs> so that, that spoken word is Vincent Price. And then, which again, you could just hear that Shakespearean, that drama that comes from mm-hmm. him. It just like radiates from his voice. But also we talked about Vincent. Well, we talked about how did Tim Burton even get to be where he was to start Nightmare Before Christmas. And so Vincent Price had had a little hand in that pot of getting Tim Burton to that point. So now I just, I literally want to build this conspiracy board. I can already see it of like linking up all of our episodes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like serial killer style with push pins and yarn. And mm -hmm. do you know how much yarn I have? Of course I do. I could make such a beautiful, oh my gosh, I, I have some ideas. But yeah, I'm so glad that you brought him up and kind of, we always like to call out our voice actors because, and I mean, in this one, they absolutely get the credit when the credits do run at the beginning, you do see all of the names of the voice actors, but Vincent Price, man, he just is some top tier Disney legacy in his villain. Knocked it out of the park. Yeah. I was going to say. So something that I found interesting, think back to my Pinocchio. Again, we're making some push pins here. I love it. Please continue. This is one of four Disney movies to feature smoking, whether that's cigarettes, cigars, pipe smoking, anything along those lines. So Pinocchio is one of them as well. So we have Great Mouse Detective. We have Pinocchio. We have 101 Dalmatians. And we have the Pecosville sequence within the movie Melody Time, which is from like 1948 or something like that. So this is definitely the most recent Mm -hmm. of the movies. It's really the last Disney movie to predominantly feature any type of smoking a cigar, cigarette, pipes, all of those things. But I like to call it out because I called it out for Pinocchio that like, damn, they're going to put a warning about this and they're not going to put a warning about jackass. Like, come on, people. I know. Another thing that this is one of the few Disney movies to do is that it takes place entirely at night. Yeah. There are no scenes during the day at any point during this movie, which is nuts. It's super nuts because that's like so not how we think of Disney movies. We think of outside in the daylight in like a meadow or something like this. And this is at night in dreary London. I mean... It's very apropos for London, like dark (laughs) and dreary. Look, I love London. I have lived in London. It's one of my favorite cities, but guys, it's kind of dark and dreary. But I did like, speaking of that, this is up until Cars in 2011. This was the last full-length animated Disney movie to be set in the UK. Hmm. So up until that point, there's no other full-length Disney animated movie in the UK up until Cars 2. One of the, I'm going to go with Beloved because it's, he's a hilarious character. It's Fidget. Our peg-legged, broken-winged bat. Slightly (laughs) terrifying at times. When the animators were designing Fidget, they were focusing on creating a scary yet comical and lovable character. So I, that definitely comes through. And they were really looking for a raspy voice. And they chose Candy Candido, who had starred in voiceover roles in many other Disney films, as well as Ralph Bakshi films. So his own looks were actually used to match Fidget. And Candido's deep, throaty voice was actually sped up in the recording to avoid Fidget's voice from becoming too low. There is a point in the movie where you can hear Candido's real voice at its raspy level um, and that is 
when they are in the pub and you hear a mouse shouting, get off, you eight-legged bum, to the juggling octopus. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of fun. But like, if you think about it, like Fidget speaks kind of quickly. Oh, yeah, he totally does. But I'm like trying to (laughs) imagine Candida like in the booth, like trying to speak slowly so that they can then speed him up. So funny. I loved, I love Fidget so much going along those lines. So he has this very iconic voice. You kind of like, it's low, it's raspy. You get all of that. All of his sounds, all of his everything are Candy Candido, except when Fidget screams when he's off screen, when Mm. Felicia is trying to eat him, it's, it's not him that's screaming off. Like that's not Candy Candido doing that. It's actually an unused sound effect from the Haunted Mansion. I just thought that was so cool that they did so much with his voice, except in that one moment, they needed it to be a little bit different. So they're like, let's just rifle through yoink and pull out some Haunted Mansion sound effects. Pull that instead. I love that 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 Mm -hmm. is something they just thought of to do yeah rachel are you a fan of monty python i am a fan of monty python excellent did you know that john cleese was the original choice for the voice of basil yes i saw that oh Oh, my gosh how awesome would that have been look not to not give credit where credit is due but like i love john cleese he is hysterical and would have been great for this role. He's really funny, but I almost wonder if he would have taken it like almost too, too far. Because far. the great thing mm. about Basil is like he has this humor about him, but in just like most Sherlock, like he also has this like doesn't realize his own humor half the time because True. his humor is the fact that he's too smart and deadpan and all of this. That's what makes him funny half the time. That's true. He's very dry. Again, I'm going to give credit to our voice actor of Basil. Uh, his name is Barry Ingham, and he did a phenomenal job with the character, mm-hmm. I I think. Oh, absolutely. I think he did a really good job because, again, you capture that Sherlock Holmes essence in this animated character where you aren't getting to, like, show facial expressions and you aren't getting to, like, put your acting into this. So it really is voice. And so I think he really did a good job capturing it in a Disney way. We just did Fox and the Hound a couple weeks ago, and I brought up how that was the first Disney animated film to use computer animation, and they used it for a moment. They used it for the fire that I was very emotional about, but that's neither here nor there. This movie, Great Mouse Detective, was actually the first major use of computer animation in a feature-length film, and that's the clock's gears when they're inside Big Ben doing their final fight, which is so cool. And like, yes, it's that kind of classic late 80s, early 90s computer animation that like is very obviously computer animation, but how cool that this movie, we've been, I think every movie we've seen so far has had something that's really influenced what would come from Disney. And this is a really big part is the fact that they had an entire scene dedicated to computer animation and they put the hand-drawn animation on top of the computer animation. Again, these things, these worlds melding together all in one place is so completely amazing because that that set up the success for what was again to come from the Disney Renaissance. But it's it's super cool. I mean, Yes, again, you can tell that it is very 80s, but 
it's fun. And it did pave the way for the kinds of Disney movies that we see today. And like, again, we're thinking back to our directors, Mascar and Clements, and the movies that they went on to direct. And it's just, it's super cool. In the beginning of this podcast, when we were looking at uh, DCOMs, once upon a time, one of our favorite things to do when we couldn't find fun facts uh, was look up the alternate titles and alternate release dates. <laughs> um, so in Japan, this movie is actually called Olivia's Great Adventure. Really? And I disagree. <laughs> I strongly disagree with that. This is not Olivia's Great Adventure. If anything, it's Dawson's Great Adventure. Like, he he steps off that little cart and is like, thrown into an adventure and then that sets his life off yeah but my fun story goes back to walt disney studios the title of this movie the great mouse detective it kind of boring not gonna lie so it was ultimately the vice president of walt disney feature animation's decision his name is peter schneider to change the title of this film from basil of baker street to its current title the great mouse detective on February 13th, 1986, an inter-office memo was sent out to all Disney employees in Schneider's name, announcing the renaming of the studio's most beloved classics. So, one of our previous movies that we discussed, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, would now be called Seven Little Men Help a Girl. Fantasia received the title Color and Music. The Jungle Book was changed to a boy, a bear, and a big black cat. And so on in that fashion. Those were, those were my favorite ones. Schneider was super pissed about it and uh, attempted to find the author who ended up being animator Ed Gombert. He wanted to fire this person. Eventually, he calmed down. All the other employees kept quiet, were covering Ed's back because they thought it was hysterical and very clearly a joke. Like... Mm-hmm. Come on, Peter, you got to you got to chill a little bit. So a copy of this memo eventually landed in the page of the L.A. Times and all of the new names were incorporated into a category on Jeopardy mm-hmm. entitled What's in a Name? And that's hysterical. I love that so much. Also, I cannot imagine a joke like that being played at Disney today with what it is and how big it is. Can you imagine like a memo that somehow goes out to everybody coming from an executive, but not really like, holy shit, that would be terrible. Absurd. But actually I'm really happy that you brought up the names of this because my very last thing was that this movie, when it came out in 1986 was actually overshadowed at the box office by a movie that I truly love deep into my core. So I get it, which was an American tale came out at the exact same time. An American tale overshadowed the great mouse detective Um, so it actually ended up going through a re-release because it did okay at the box office but they wanted it to come out again later on and there is some drama about surrounding all of this because an old disney animator went on to create the animation studio that put out the american tale so there's some tea mm, to be spilt with this mm -hmm. that i don't need to get into right now we will have another time for that but so he went on to have American Tale go out. And so they re-released The Great Mouse Detective in February of 1992 and they renamed it. 
So for until from February 1992 until 2010, I believe, it was actually called The Adventure of the Great Mouse Detective. Hmm. So they added in something extra to make it seem fun and that it was an adventure. Because again, like you said, Great Mouse Detective, a little bit of boring. And so they they tried to spice up the name and it wasn't until 2010 in another like re-release to DVD that they took out the adventures and put it back to where it was. But I just thought that was kind of this funny renaming of the movie because it was actually kind of seen like, ah, uh, maybe this isn't that fun of a name and maybe we should call it something more fun. It's kind of blah. I mean, it gets the point across. So before we get into the movie, let's pour ourselves some more wine. Let's pour ourselves some more wine and let's then get into the actual movie. So this movie starts, we get full, full credit scene at the very beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. But we see that we are in London, 1897. And we just kind of zoom in on Flavershams down kind of in their little corner of the road. That we yeah. do. Although despite being in London, the Flaversham's are Scottish. Yes, they most certainly are. Very clearly Scottish. <laughs> very, which is actually very adorable because the actor oh. who plays, well, first who plays the dad. He's not a Scottish fun fact of the day. He actually is known from do from doing uh, Scrooge McDuck in the 80s. And he did such a great Scottish accent that they decided to keep him as a Scottish person. However, the girl of Olivia, she was eight years old. She did her lines from London while everybody else was in Burbank. She did her lines from London. And so we go into the toy shop and we see Olivia and her dad. Her dad's an obvious toy maker and he has just made Olivia Oh my God, this dancing mouse. I have, oh my, I remember this as a kid so clearly wanting that little dancing mouse and how it just glides around. It's so cute. Like it doesn't look like a little animatronic toy, which is what it's clear. Not animatronic, obviously it's the 1860s, but you know what I mean? Like 1890s, 1890s, but it's, it's super cute. Like I want a little flower that turns into a dancing mouse ballerina. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, we get our first look at our little our little bat friend fidget and as you know my favorite thing to do is write down what the subtitles say and it says fiendish cackling and boy oh boy is that an accurate description i remember being a kid and like fidget scared the shit out of me as a kid he's kind of scary as an adult like he's a little more absurd than yeah. scary uh and then you know he he kidnaps Mr. Flaversham mm -hmm. and Olivia is, is left behind not knowing what to do. And then we get the great mouse detective scene. And I'm like, wait, hold on. Like I have so many questions about this opening scene. Like this is a very scary way to start out a Disney movie. Not scary. Like the Fox and the Hound scary, but like a different kind of upsetting. <laughs> yeah. I would say Fox and the Hound is very upsetting. This is kind of scary. This is like, oh my god, a scary bat has come and taken this girl's father away from her. That's scary. That's scary. Yes. So then we are introduced to our narrator of the movie, Dr. Dawson. Absolutely. Uh, who, of course, I keep wanting to call him Watson. I might have written down Watson a couple times and like X'd it out and then just wrote Dawson. So if we call him, let's just get it out there in the open. If we call him Watson at any point during this recording, we mean Dawson. Yes, yeah. they are very close. They are almost all the same letters. Yeah. 
So we are introduced to Dawson, Mm -hmm. who has just finished fighting in Afghanistan. Not fighting. He's a doctor. Sorry. He's a a doctor. He's a medical doctor. He's a medical doctor. I did look up. There were some actual wars happening in Afghanistan in the 1890s. Hmm. So this was an accurate representation of a war that was going on at that time. So it wasn't a random thing that happened in the 1890s. There were wars in Afghanistan. Interesting. And then he he gets off his little carriage. He's trying to find a flat to rent. And he comes upon poor baby Olivia sitting on a little box in a shoe. And those that little box is Gaston's liver pills, which is a reference to one of the animator's fathers. So that was a, it's not a Beauty and the Beast foreshadowing. It is a nod to the animator. That's nice. But what are liver pills? I am sure they are pills for your liver. I don't know. Fish oil, maybe early fish oil. Sure. Let's go with that. Dawson agrees to help Olivia find Basil of Baker Street. Yes. We are then brought over to Baker Street, 221B Baker Street. We are actually brought to 221 and a half is actually Basil's address. So we do see 221. We know we're at 221B. We look up. We see the outline of Sherlock playing his violin. We pan down and we see the actual address is 221 and a half Baker Street. So cute. So this is where I go, oh, in conjunction with Sherlock Holmes. So Sherlock Holmes is the human detective. And Basil is the mouse detective. So we're brought in to Basil's home. And then Basil starts acting very Holmesy, you know, mm-hmm. deducing and doing all these fun things and playing with his violin. And then we have Mrs. Judson. Yep, not Mrs. Hudson. No, they, they didn't stretch too far on that one. No. Who brings out some lovely cheese crumpets, which I've never heard of, but now I want one. Oh my god, I remember being a kid and like the word crumpets is seared into my brain because of mm-hmm. Olivia saying crumpets later on to Toby. So after the cheese crumpets, we see Basil, he's running his experiments, he has his bullet, he shoots it, he's like, "Oh, this is it, this is it." It doesn't work and in a very Sherlockian fashion gets incredibly depressed when <laughs> he can't figure out When something's gone cold, basically. So he gets depressed. He's at a dead end. And then he hears about a peg-legged bat. And at that moment, Basil of Baker Street becomes a new man. He is reinvigorated and he is ready to go find Radigan. And he is very excited about this. This is when I first write down, I keep wanting to call Dawson Watson. Mm -hmm. Because he does our first very true Sherlockian ism word what what is the word i'm looking for anyway he says elementary my dear dawson it's so great it's the the nods to sherlock holmes it's so well done we cut scene and we see mr flaversham making some sort of robot who drinks tea question mark what is he doing i had no idea (laughs) but i just remember thinking like as a kid this is silly. He's making something like, is he making a maid? What's happening? A butler, perhaps? So Radigan is talking to Flaversham because Flaversham's like, no, I'm not going to do this. Radigan's like, yeah, you most certainly are going to do this for me. 
they get into a bit of a, a tiff, if you will. Mm-hmm. And Radigan goes to chat with his friends in his big lair. Oh, that he does. About how he is how he is great. The first thing I noticed, Rachel, is how fitting is it that Radigan's lair is in a wine barrel? As we are drinking our 19 crimes. Our, our different 19 crimes. As I got this and I was reading the bottle when I got it, I actually thought to myself, oh, she got this for Radigan. This is Radigan's wine and his type of people. This isn't for Basil of Baker Street. This is for Radigan. I like that. Didn't think of that. But okay. let's go with another reason as to why I chose that. Certainly. So then we go into, you know, he's talking to all of his goons. Mm-hmm. Before the song, we are seeing mostly mice. And then and? one, is he a gecko? It's like some green dude. I tried to look this up because to me, he looks like an homage to Alice in Wonderland when she's inside the house and there's a lizard that lives inside mm-hmm. the house. And like, he looks exactly like yeah. that lizard. He's dressed the same. Mm-hmm. He looks the same. Yes. Could not figure out why. I'm sure the animators did this very, it has to be intentional. No idea why. He does, but it's so out of place because everyone else we see is a mouse. Mm-hmm. He wants to join Radigan. He believes in Radigan. But why? I don't know. So then we, we get our song. Before we even get in, like with the song, I sing this song to my cat eh, once a week. I will pick her up and sing, oh, Cadigan, oh, Cadigan. <laughs> <laughs> with no shame. With no shame. We are oompahing. We are bouncing up and down. And I sing, oh, Cadigan, a lot. So this song, again, I've seen this movie a lot of times. I love this movie. The songs aren't quite there with the, what they will soon become with the Renaissance. But damn, oh, damn. So here's a key thing that I learned, though, from watching this movie. And whether this is implied or whatnot, it doesn't matter. This is just some, like, life tips for all of you guys from us on the podcast, but mostly from the great mouse detective don't get drunk that you call your boss a rat at the company party because no good comes from this <laughs> he, he, he does not like the truth being spoken but that's not my honestly that's not my most problematic thing with this with this song my most problematic point that i'm gonna mention to you rachel is this line in the song Please. They're talking about all of the the evil that he has done and that he is going to do with this new plan. And they're asking, better than all of the widows and orphans you've drowned? What the actual fuck? He's a bad dude. I want more. I really want there to be more of the Great Mouse Detective of more chases between basil and radigan because i want to see some of the shit that radigan did i think that would have been super interesting like a prequel Mm -hmm. so disney get on that i know that you just announced like seven million things coming to disney plus but like we all deserve a great mouse detective prequel series i think the great mouse detective totally as a tv series would be amazing oh amazing I would love that. That's like, I don't ask for much in this world except for Disney Plus to hire me to write summaries and, you know, world peace and shit like that and to order this, get the wine that I order. But, you know, all I really want. I like your order there. 
that's pretty that's pretty straightforward um all i really want is a great mouse detective tv show well i found the lyric saying that he had drowned multiple widows and orphans yeah like why what like i understand being like a bad guy but that's just pure evil. I mean, if we think about who he's based off of, which is, of course, the one, the only, Moriarty. Moriarty is evil as hell. Like, yeah. Moriarty's a pretty evil dude. And so that is who Radigan is supposed to be based upon. But, yeah, he's evil. Here's evil Radigan's first point is... Poor little Bartholomew, who is also voiced by the actor who does Basil. Mm -hmm. gets very drunk and is just going along with the rhyming in the song and calls him a rat. Literally, his name is Radigan, guys. Like, go with something more discreet. Maybe, like, obviously, Mousigan is not going to work. But no, no, it's not going to work. But, like, what mouse would be named Radigan? That's dumb. I mean, that's true. That's very true. But dude is a rat. He just, he should own his rattiness, man. Yeah. And I mean, look at another, another movie that is owned by the rattiness is Ratatouille. One of my, maybe my all-time favorite Pixar movie. Oh, I don't know. Hot take, maybe. So he brings out, so again, Bartholomew. This wine uh, is very good. I'm sorry. Like, I hope that yours is as good as mine is. It is. This is very easy to drink. Oh, very yeah. much just like sit with friends and chat. But yes, yeah, so he brings out Radigan's pissed. He's pissed. So he brings out the big guns. And by the big guns, I mean Felicia. Or as I like to say, Adelaide. I was going to say, Adelaide is not a bitch. But this cat reminded me of Adelaide. She was large. She was fluffy. She was hungry. And these are all things that I associate with your cat, Adelaide. (laughs) And she's the princess. She, you know what? She wants what she wants. When she hears food, she's there. She wants what she wants. Do you have a little bell to summon her? I mean, I have, if I shake her treat bag, that cat comes sprinting. And again, she's a big, hefty cat. And she comes sprinting. To I, I should get a video of this so you guys can see. Because that's what I imagine Felicia does when she hears the bell is how Adelaide is when I shake the bag of treats. Um, yeah, I Felicia. Love, I love is, Adelaide with all my heart. She's probably my favorite cat that I know. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of cats. She's but a special cat, but she is Felicia. Felicia is then fed poor baby Bartholomew. Which is like, that is wicked. Oh like my you God. Just take some dude and you feed him alive to a cat. Like, Evil. holy, that's super wicked. And like, we, we talked about our least favorite Disney villain in two episodes ago, The Fox and the Hound. <laughs> We, we can't stop. Amos Slade had no redeeming qualities. None. Radigan's at least kind of fun, but like, damn, he evil. Yeah, I would say Radigan honestly is more evil than Amos, but Amos was just a terrible, no redeeming qualities type of dude. So he's better than Amos in my book. A hundred percent. So then after poor baby Bartholomew is eaten, 
we snap back to Basil's house at Baker Street. Mm -hmm. He says, we're going to go get Toby and he's going to help us find the scent. And Rachel, God damn it. Toby is the hound dog that we deserved. (laughs) Toby is what everything that grown copper wasn't. Yes! That is the hound that we all deserve here on the podcast. We deserved a nice hound dog after the terribleness that we went through two weeks ago. I love Toby so much uh, as a character. And again, growing up with beagles, growing up with hounds, like, I just... I love so little hound. I love a cute hound dog, and he I, is a very cute hound. I love a hound dog. He is a very redeeming hound dog that absolutely we really, really, really needed. Toby leads them to the toy shop, and Fidget is getting all the things off of his list. And I'm sure that you noticed it, but we have yet another Disney Easter egg. We see a Dumbo figurine in the toy shop. We do see a Dumbo figurine. But getting up until that Dumbo scene and like getting up to Dumbo blowing bubbles and all of this, Basil tells Olivia, don't make a sound. Something that I love about this scene in the entire toy shop scene, Olivia doesn't say a word. She does not. She makes noises. Like she turns something on and all of this. She like sees stuff. She goes, she's in this scene, but she does not say a word. So she follows Basil's orders to a T. And I just think that is such like, one it's adorable but two it's such great writing quote unquote it's great it's great storytelling that he tells her this and that's how she is she follows along to what he says i agree yes and then we are led into a very terrifying chase scene within the toy shop Mm -hmm. it is honestly very frightening and very well done fidget had a smart plan even if he's terrifying even if this scene is downright terrifying this was a very smart plan it is a very smart plan then made sounded made to sound very stupid when he's explaining to radkin what happened at the toy shop which is like which is why the voice actor of Fidget is so good because so like he he tries so hard to explain what happened because it was smart. I was like this was actually all of the things he did from like enticing Olivia to like setting off all of the like wind up toys to yep. do like, yep. going up the yep. blocks. All of these things thing after thing so super smart. Super smart. And then he tries to tell Radigan what happened and he's just like uh, and then I got the girl and I got the gears and I got the toy soldiers. I, like he can't say anything, right. but it's so good. My f- favorite part of when Fidget brings Olivia back to Radigan is she stomps on Fidget's foot and he says, I think my favorite line of the whole movie goes so good. It's so good. My foot, my only foot. <laughs> You're welcome for doing that in his voice. And it's so funny because, like, true, he's probably like, God, no, this is the only foot I got. <laughs> it's gonna be a double peg legged like Which is super funny because he's a bat. He can just he can fly. He is. I I love I love Fidget so much as <laughs> as a henchman, as a sidekick. I love Fidget. He's so absurd. Oh Lord. But yeah, so the, he he gets he steals Olivia. He brings Olivia to. Radigan, and in this process of doing all of this, we see that he lost his note. He lost yes. his shopping list, basically. He forgot the list, which allowed for our good, great detective, Basil, to actually Dawson pick up the piece of paper and then Basil use it to deduce 
where we could find Fidget. Honestly, look, I get it's a cartoon. I get he's a rat. That was ridiculous. Oh, it was so ridiculous. And so he just runs this experiment and then he figures out where it is. But I mean, that's such a Sherlock thing to do. It makes no sense. Anybody else doing this would not be able to get that result. But because it's Sherlock, because it's Basil, he was able to get the result that he needed to get to find the bar that they could find Fidget slash Radigan slash all of their needs. So they show up to this bar dressed as sailors and oh my god hold on you're missing first of all we get another it's elementary my dear dawson elementary and also this is the point we are halfway through the movie and in your disney plus description it mentions that this is a musical but we've only had one song and we are 37 minutes into this movie yeah, musical, I think, is a very strong word for this movie. I think movie with two songs is a much more accurate way to describe it. So they go to the bar. They they figure out where this is. Again, it's stupid how he does it, but whatever. Elementary. And so they show up to... Ah. It's not stupid. It's elementary. But they show up at the, the bar, which is called the Rat Trap. That it is. And they're dressed up as sailors. And oh my god watching both of them so we have we have basil dressed up as kind of like you know he has a little pico his little collar his little mustache on and then he calls for watson he's like come on now you got dawson rachel dawson shit i knew it was gonna happen uh, I, I said it at the beginning to just be aware <laughs> i knew funny. it was gonna happen but yes he calls upon dawson who personally i'm getting major smee from peter pan vibes 100 percent inspired by smee <laughs> I love it. He's wearing a striped shirt that is far too small for his large belly. Just a little crop top. <laughs> it's a crop top. He keeps trying to pull it down and it's so cute. Hashtag same Dawson. When I wear a crop top, that's how I am too. And that's why I don't wear a crop top. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in the rat trap and I am extremely thrown off by the octopus. Not the fact that he is tap dancing and juggling. Oh, no, no, no. But that his anatomy fucking freaks me out. His nose is big and his head is small. I don't think it's his nose. I think that the way that this octopus is drawn is backwards. That that is his head. That's really like the octopus itself. That is his head. It's He's no. just drawn. Yeah. But he walks off. And I know. He's backwards. He's a backwards octopus. He's a backwards octopus, and I hate it. I, I mean, you're not wrong. Okay. It's, it's weird. It's super funky, but I think he's just drawn backwards. He is booed off the stage, which, personally, I thought he did a relatively good job. Well, Dawson thought he was doing a great job, too. Yes. He claps. Then they, they talk to the bartender. They ask about Radigan. And uh, she spikes their drinks. In the meantime, though, we get Lady Mouse on the mm -hmm. stage. And Lady Mouse, her voice does not match her figure. Um, so this scene yep. was almost cut from the movie for being too risque. But the reason that they were able to keep it in is because they said she's a mouse. And so it's not risque. 
because she's a mouse. Okay. But let me tell you, this is a very risque scene. Oh, yeah. This is this is a burlesque mouse with yeah. her burlesque mouse friends who show up later. Mm-hmm. And, like, the mice are the, the main characters of this movie. Therefore, saying that it's not risque because they're mice is stupid. Because all of them are mice. Well, I mean, I think it's to say, like, oh, well... It's not like a, a female anatomy. It's not like a woman's body doing these dances. I think that's like what they're trying to legit say is it's not a woman's body. Except, I'm sorry, this lady mouse, this mouse babe is 100%. And yes, I don't know if you guys have picked up on this. I call all women babes. They're just, she's mouse babe. We got marionette babes. We got babes in every single movie that we have. She is 100% depicted as like, a woman doing a burlesque dance. So I don't agree with the fact that it's okay because she's a mouse. Like it's definitely a very risque scene. A hundred percent agree. And it doesn't really add that much. It doesn't because it would, if she was like in cahoots with Radigan or something along those lines, but she's not. She's just a distraction. She's just what Dawson can start a fight with because he gets his drunken ass up to dance with his, the other ladies and then falls and starts a fight. I love drunk Dawson. <laughs> poor, poor, poor drugged Dawson. Uh, he's so cute. But then also, like, he's so easily snapped out of his inebriation that, like, that provides me with an unrealist- unrealistic expectation of being drunk. <laughs> it most certainly does. I have had several situations where I have very quickly had to be the authority figure in a situation while being drunk and have been snapped out of it this is not what happens to dawson what happens to dawson is that like you just like snap out of it like no that's not how it works it's like do i need to speak to the police in a situation like yeah that would snap me out of it and the thing is like i've been snapped out of it too but dawson was not drunk dawson was drugged like so he's like this is somebody who's been drugged and yeah, you're not getting snapped out of being, you know, basically roofied. roofied. Yeah, so uh, yet another thing that Disney gave me unrealistic expectations about. Very unrealistic. So let's move forward after this yep. unrealistic expectation. Dawson and Basil spot Fidget and they follow him. And they go through the sewers and then all of a sudden they see the bottle that Olivia had been placed in previously. I don't think we mentioned that before. And they go up to tap on the glass and it is not Olivia. It is fidget. And personally, I was very surprised. Like I was like, Oh shit. (laughs) Like was not expecting that trickery. Radigan is smart, man. Radigan knew that Basil was on the case. Radigan knew that Basil was going to go after Olivia. And Radigan is so freaking smart and stuck freaking fidget in that bottle. Radigan captures Basil and Dawson. Mm-hmm. And this is actually like a game of mousetrap. Like, did you have that game mousetrap growing up in the board game? I never did. I wanted to have the game, but I never did. But let me tell you, this is just for you, Adina. You should ask Ian sometime about how Mousetrap went as a kid because I found out he bit his dad playing Mousetrap. 
my like very diplomatic boyfriend very cool as a cucumber diplomatic boyfriend as a child bit his father because of the game of mousetrap i why is he not here right now to tell us this story it was literally this trap he set and like saying what will happen when you do this this and this it's like the game of mousetrap it totally is. and again i think i had the the board game mousetrap or I'm just like projecting on the many commercials of Mousetrap that I saw on the Disney Channel and Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. One of those two things. Mm-hmm. I think I had it or a friend had it. I've definitely played it. A friend definitely had it. Like I've totally played it before. I know yeah. which friend of mine had it. But no, it's exactly what happened. So he sets this up and like I wrote that this is a horrific death trap. Like so. The record goes, the ball falls, all of these things happen, the mousetrap snaps, but that's not all, because that can't be all. The gun will go off, the arrow will shoot, the axe will go, and then the anvil will fall. And then, of course, smile for the camera. I've got to appreciate Radigan seeing his plan through. He is an evil genius. So it's like, if this thing doesn't work, then this will obviously work, or this will work, or this will work. Look, them getting out of it is kind of like the tiny little hole in the Death Star that if you shoot it the correct way, the whole thing will blow up. Oh, 100%. The fact that he was able to, again, snap out of his depression. This movie is giving me unrealistic expectations about managing my depression. (laughs) Let me tell you. (laughs) A lot of Disney movies give me that. Yeah. Yeah, I he snaps out of his depression and he just realizes all of these things that he's going to like how he's going to get out of this. But I appreciate that Radigan was just covering his tracks and making sure that these that there was no more basil on Baker Street. He was covering his tracks because we're still at this point in the movie that I don't know what his plan is. (laughs) And like, well done, Radigan. Like, what, what, I'm sorry, not well done, Reagan. Well done, writers of this movie. Hey, there's no monologue that explains the right. entire, like, problem and what's going to happen. Yeah, but I didn't figure, out, figure it out from the clues that were being laid before. So well done to the writers of this movie for being able to trick a 28-year-old woman who remembers nothing of this movie. We do find out that his plan is to create this animatronic queen and give himself ultimate power he's going to be doing this at the celebration of the queen's diamond jubilee and rachel i was actually in london england during the celebration of queen elizabeth ii's diamond jubilee in 2012 and i saw her in person that's exciting i shall share a photo of my very wonderful photo of huey too So I just, I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, oh yeah, I know what the Diamond Jubilee, for those unaware, Diamond is 60 years. When Flaversham showcases the mouse replica, I literally said, oh, (laughs) like there's the plan. I get it. I understand now. So after Radigan's plan has been revealed and the queen is kidnapped and yada yada we then snap back over to basil and dawson and olivia we see olivia trying to break out of the bottle and personally i'm very glad to see that olivia has as much difficulty as wine corks as i do because (laughs) as rachel knows up until like 
a few weeks ago at a really shitty corkscrew that did not get my wine corks out properly, but now I'm okay. Ladies and gentlemen of the podcast, if we could offer you one piece of advice, it's get yourself a good corkscrew because if you don't have a good bottle opener, you're going to have some tough times ahead of you. Okay, again, then we are at the Death Star, the one in a million chance to get out of this situation. Of course, Basil figures it out. And they are free. They take that adorable photo. Then cut to Radigan reading his many decrees as what is the the what what is he named by fake queen i don't recall but he as supreme ruler he gives a whole mess of rules that will all of a sudden be put into play yes and my favorite rule that he mentions that literally made me laugh out loud was him saying that he wanted to put extra taxes on the elderly the infirm and little children. <laughs> I love Radigan. You know what? He's just a go-getter that sees that there's some places that they could put some more taxes and we're going to put in the damn taxes now. Like, you know, he's just a man with a plan. So I like Radigan. Basil comes in to save the day and he says, arrest him, gesturing at, at Radigan. And I'm like, Who's he asking? All of these guards are Radigan's goons. Yeah, I think he meant like a citizen's arrest. I don't think any of these citizens were capable of arresting Radigan. All of them together, though. That's the important takeaway. On your own, maybe not, but together you can arrest Radigan. They take down the goons, but then, of course, Radigan escapes this particular situation And we are taken on a lovely tour around London and seeing some of London's most famous landmarks. We see Trafalgar Square. We see the Tower Bridge. And, of course, Big Ben. Which, can I just say, though, I am so happy. Like, I shouldn't be happy about this because I should expect this. But I'm so happy that they, like, actually made it seem like these places are not all one singular place. Because so many times people have it somehow in their head that, like, Big Ben's at Buckingham Palace and, like, that Tower Bridge is also just, like, all these places are right there. It's not. So I'm so happy that, like... It shows these places like far apart from one another. Yes, I agree. I very much appreciated that. It's like when I watch a movie and someone is able to get like in Los Angeles and they are able to get from Hollywood to the beach in two minutes. Like, no, that takes a very, very long time. Yeah. I even know that. (laughs) Yes. My lack of LA knowledge and I know that. Um, But yes, I liked that, you know, they are on these aircrafts and seeing these things separately. I appreciated that. So they end up at Big Ben. And so it it actually takes a while for them to get to Big Ben because the fight's all happening in the air. But the big fight itself, Radigan with Olivia in tow crashes into Big Ben, which is when we have the... The scene that I mentioned earlier is the computer animated full scene of this background. All of these gears are completely computer animated and it's Radigan, Basil and Radigan throws Olivia and it's Radigan and Basil fighting. They're able, he's able to save Olivia. Thank God. But now they're outside. They were on the gears. Now they're outside on the, on the actual clock arms. Yes. But let's back up a second. And again, I appreciate that this entire clock scene inside 
is computer animated. But as Radigan is running through the clock tower and his clothes get caught on one of the gears, he definitely loses all of his clothes. And then he is outside and has clothes again. Well, I don't think he loses all of them. He does lose most of them. No, there is a scene that he is, for all intents and purposes, naked. Yeah, he's naked for a second just to prove how ratty he really is. But he never... No, it's like a no. split second. He keeps his watch, clothes on. Watch it again. I did. You will see all of his clothes come off. Most of his clothes come off. All of his clothes come off. Oh, I will die on this hill. I will die on this hill. <laughs> and then he reappears outside with clothes that are far less torn than would be expected. I agree that the ones outside, he has more clothes on than he definitely did. However, whatever, we're moving forward or else we will just argue about this one. If any of you have a have a side of this argument to say, please let us know (laughs) or else we won't settle this and it will probably come up in future episodes. So somebody settle this for us. (laughs) (laughs) We are seeing this fight scene between Radigan and Basil and we see them duking it out. Radigan falls to his death from the top of Big Ben. Now, did you know that Radigan is actually only the second Disney animated villain to fall to his death? The only one before this was the Wicked Queen and Snow White, which we covered. And again, I said that was a horrifying death. It was, it was, we, we had a lot to say about how bad that was. This too is just as bad. However, I said I was going to bring up another actual Sherlock Holmes reference. And this scene is that. And this is referenced in the story, The Final Problem of Watson, saying the correct name this time, mm-hmm. See, follows this trail up this hill and sees a struggle between Sherlock and Moriarty and discovers that they have both fallen to their assumed death over this ledge it is referenced in almost every type of sherlock you can ever imagine this final problem is the most known sherlock story that there might be but so i just really like that we had this exact dynamic play out in this movie because it is so well known it's done in the bbc sherlock show it's done in the sherlock movies it's done all the time is this idea of sherlock and moriarty falling to their death together however What we see also, and this is so very, we'll see it again in a Goofy movie. When we eventually get to a Goofy movie, he goes over the waterfall and then you see him coming up. He's like using (laughs) the like propeller himself, but there's something so special about a Disney movie of somebody falling into the clouds and then rising from the clouds to see that they have survived. Of course, they could not have killed off Basil. No, because they're going to be doing a spinoff TV show on Disney Plus very soon, right? I thought it was a prequel. I don't care. They're going to do some sort of TV show. (laughs) Whatever. It's fine. So, of course, Basil survives. Yay. Everyone is, is everyone good is alive. Yes. Cut to Mr. Flaversham and Olivia thanking Basil for saving the day. And then Dawson is about to walk off. But then 
another case comes to Basil's door and he's like, ah, yes, this is Dawson, my good buddy. He solves all my cases with me, right? Which is why I say spin off TV show and pick up where these two left off. Be so good. It would be so good. People would love it. But that is how we end The Great Mouse Detective. And with that being said, this is one of the final movies to have the the end at the end. All Most movies stopped that in the 70s. They kept this one going for a little bit. So 1986, this is one of the last movies to have the end at the very end of the movie. And my last note that I wrote was... What an adorable movie. I love this movie. I wanted to start off our year on such a positive note. And I think I love this movie. And I think so many people watched it as a kid and probably are like you just like do not remember this at all. Or were like me and watched it way too many times in college. I don't know. I loved it. I mentioned to another friend of mine that we were going to be doing this one. She said that she first saw it in college as well. So apparently it's a college movie. It's yeah. a theme. I loved this movie. I thought it was adorable. It was so fun. The characters were great. The villain was great. If there was one thing, I would have maybe wanted a few more songs that could have been fun or just otherwise don't tout it as a musical. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus. Mm-hmm. If I were to write my Disney Plus description, as I normally do, I would not have said that this was a musical. No, but I thought this this was such a great movie and a really fun way to start out our new year. Absolutely. You know, we rounded out 2020 with a great way to end that. And I think we're starting off this new year with a wonderful wine. What a great wine to start off. We start with a strong movie, strong wine. We're kicking off the new year right. I would agree. I very much enjoyed this wine. I thought it was a fun pairing. And I'm looking at how much I drank. I drank a decent amount of this wine and oh, I me too. And I'm I like I love it. Like I don't feel like uh-oh, that was a mistake. I feel like no, this was a fun wine if you're just chatting with your friends. So what this leads me now to Rachel, our next episode is our 10th episode. Big 10, baby. We are in double digits next week. So I have decided to do something slightly different. And I have gone with oh. a listener pick. Ooh. A couple of, of our lovely fans of you guys have requested this. Uh, but our next movie, deep in the Disney Renaissance era, is... Hercules! Yes! And I, I love that you're sticking with our same directors. I love that our listeners are sticking with our same directors. And we are diving in with a true Disney Renaissance movie. I know. This is probably, this is one of my favorite Disney movies. So I was very glad to see that our listeners had suggested it. Rachel, this was such a fun week and such a fun movie to watch. So cheers to you. Cheers to the new year. Cheers to our listeners for listening to us. Yeah, I just want to say Happy New Year, everybody. I hope your 2021 starts off as great as ours has started off. And with that, ditto everything Adina said. Cheers. Cheers. A hearty cheers. A hearty cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us online at DisneyRewind.com. That is D-I-S-N-E-Y. R-E-W-I-N-E-D dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram at Disney Rewind. You can also listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. 
And finally, you can send us an email at DisneyRewind at gmail.com. Again, that's DisneyRewind, D-I-S-N-E-Y-R-E-W-I-N-E-D at gmail.com. Cheers. Cheers.